tonight, what I wanted to talk to you about, what was on my heart to, to speak on was what I call the why of your heart. Or a way we would typically say it is the motivation of your heart or the, the reasons you do what you do. And I'm not talking about um, just an emotional passing reason of you know why you made a certain decision or something. But I'm talking that deep part of you that drives you. That, you know, why did you come to church tonight? Was there nothing good on TV? And you thought, well, I want to come visit people. Did you come, you know, hungry for the word of God? Did you come because it's a habit? Um, did you come because you feel like you had to? I think a lot of people were here because we want to be here. I know I've been to church at times where it was a real hassle to drag myself there because maybe I was tired or I was in a grumpy mood or something, you know. So this is an example. You're all here for some, some reason. You came here tonight. Something brought you here. And what I want to talk about is how that our heart's reason for doing something means so much to God. It's very important to him. And we're going to look at some scriptures. And I'm not talking about just coming to church. I'm talking about all the different aspects of our life, why we work, uh, how we treat people, you know, what we pursue, what we do with our time, with our life. Why do we do what we do? And I want to start with a scripture in Luke 21. It's a story most of you probably know. Luke 21, verse 1 to 4. And this is, in my Bible, it's got a little heading that says the widow's gift. Uh, a lot of you would recognize it as the widow's might. So Jesus and his disciples, it, from what I can gather from the text, they're basically sitting in the temple observing people. So even back then, people watching was a popular activity. Just like when you go to the mall and like, you know, what is that guy doing? And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. For they all out of their surplus put into the offering. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Now, isn't it amazing? In our eyes, the rich people putting more money in, they, they did more than the widow. They were giving more. You know, imagine if we had a, a scoreboard up here on Sundays, and you could see how much people were giving. It'd be kind of interesting, actually. We'd probably have to use code names like Greek Thunder, so they wouldn't know who you are, right? And, you know, Rancher 316. Oh, I don't see him here. Right? What if you could see what people were giving? What kind, of, what kind of judgments would we make? We'd probably say, man, like, look, that guy just gave a thousand bucks. They must really have a heart for God. And they could. You could give a thousand dollars and give it with a very cheerful, expectant heart, and it would be a blessing to God. But here Jesus was saying, what is important is not the amount, but the, the reason behind it. Now, this widow, it was a major sacrifice for her to give what she did. And you'll see in other parables, 
Jesus talks. Now here we don't know if he's talking necessarily about the Pharisees. But in other parables, he talks about the Pharisees, or sorry, other, other parts in the New Testament, about the Pharisees giving to be seen by men. They were giving because they wanted people to notice them. It was a wrong motivation. The widow here, for her to give out of her poverty, to give something that truly cost her, she had to have had a heart that truly believed. Her motivation for giving those coins, I mean, you think, think in the natural. If you've got 100 bucks and you need groceries, are you going to give $50 to the church? It's going to be very hard to do. Let's say you've already tithed. That's the last money you have. Your natural mind is going to say, I need to keep this money. She's in an even tougher position. But something in her heart m motivated her to give. And Jesus said, because of, you know, it wasn't the amount she gave, it's the, the heart behind it, the reason behind it. She gave more than all these people. It was a sacrifice for her. In uh, Matthew 6, verses 1 and 2, Jesus is talking about the religious leaders. And he's talking to people in general, but you'll see throughout the New Testament, he was especially hard on the Pharisees the religious leaders, because they were doing things that looked good and looked right, but they were doing them for the wrong reasons. He said in one part, you know, you guys are like whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. He was talking about what's going on inside them. So they were doing all the right things on the outside, but on the inside, it was dead and dry and dusty. And here he says in verse 1, Matthew 6, 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. And then he talks about giving in secret. He talks even about praying, not praying to be seen by men. But what I want us to notice in these scriptures here is he says that the reason these people were practicing their righteousness before men was to be noticed by them. And if you're a Christian and you're letting your light shine out there in the world, there's going to be a lot of times that you'll be doing some good works in front of people. You might be buying someone's groceries. You might be praying for somebody at the gym. You might, you know, different things like that. Jesus here is not saying, don't do good things. Don't do good deeds out in public. He's saying, don't do them for the purpose of people noticing you. The purpose, the motivation of these people's hearts was what he was talking about. There's a weight to that, that God sees and uh, we're going to look at, you don't have to turn there. It's all the way in the Old Testament. But uh, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. One of the coolest guys in the Old Testament, King David. When he's getting basically selected, anointed to be the next king of Israel. Uh, again, many of you know the story, so I'm going to kind of condense it. Uh, Samuel, you know, 
goes to David's house, let me see your, your boys, bring him before me, and his big strapping boys come out, and he's like, that's got to be it. Look at this guy. This is like, this guy's like a, you know, awesome looking guy. He's handsome. He's strong. And uh, it says, uh, when they entered, he looked at Eliab, Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Right? So Samuel's judging like most of us would. What's on the outside? And this guy, he looks like a king. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So God was looking at what was on the inside of David. And I think it's really interesting that when David killed the lion and killed the bear, there was no one around. I mean, it was just, as far as I can tell, it was just him out there in the pasture, right? Doing these things hidden in private. If you really want to, you know, know who you are, I've heard people say that character is who you are when you're alone in the dark. You know, when there's no one else around to see what you'll do, that's, that's who you really are. Now, what I thought was interesting, God looking at David's heart, Later, we see him go to face Goliath. And David, from this, he knows he's anointed to be the next king. And King Saul says, you know, here's, here's my sword. Here's some armor. Like, go out there and get him. David says, look, I've never used, I don't know how to use this stuff. I'm going to go use my sling. Goes out, kills a giant. What I thought was interesting, though, is, and I, I'd never realized this before, but Later on, David goes to lead campaign after campaign after battle after battle after battle. He became the greatest warrior king in the history, I would say, of, of Israel. But when he fought Goliath, he didn't even know how to use a sword. God called him based on his heart, but then, as they say, God qualified him. He trained, he learned how to use that sword, he learned how to become a king, all these things. But it started because he had the right heart. And it's over and over again in the Bible. Um, so let's go. Oh, I wanted to read this little quote to you. Um, this is more about having the right attitude of heart in your work. But uh, Martin Luther King said, If a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets, even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music, or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. It's pretty cool. So just remember that when you're cleaning toilets at the minister's conference. <laughs> Man, this toilet's clean. Here lived a great toilet cleaner who did their job well. <laughs> I'm on the sound booth, so, you know. <laughs> When you listen to that recording, just be like, oh, man, yeah, good recording. <laughs> anyway, sidetrack. So <clears throat> what happens when people have good actions but the wrong motivation behind it? And this isn't meant to be a condemning message because there's, first of all, I, I, I want to you know, share something that edifies. But I think before we can make a change, if, if some of us are sitting here, and I, I think we've all got things in our 
hearts, motivations in our heart that could be tweaked or changed or, you know, that God wants to make better. So the examples I'm about to give are, they're pretty extreme examples from the New Testament about people who were doing something that maybe on the outside actually looked like a pretty good thing, but because their heart was wrong, uh, yeah, it didn't turn out so good. Uh, so in Acts 8, verse 18 to 23, now this passage of scripture picks up where the apostles were basically laying hands on people and people were getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. And there's this guy named Simon who was, you know, prior to this, he was Mr. Big in the community. He was a, like a sorcerer. He was into basically power. And he saw that people were receiving power when the Holy Spirit came. People were getting healed, lives were getting changed, and he's like, whoa, okay, this is like far beyond anything I've ever experienced. And he realizes like, I'm not even in kindergarten compared to these guys. And so he comes to them in verse 18, it says, now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. And in his mind, he's probably thinking, man, I I want this. Like, how much? How much for the Holy Spirit? 500? 1,000? What do you need? You know, I can write you a check. And, you know, sometimes, like, I I look at that and think, it's kind of cool that the guy wanted the Holy Spirit, right? Like, he sees this and he's like, this is awesome. But he wanted the Spirit for the wrong reasons, He offered them money saying, give this authority to me as well so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now this is my like conjecture here, but he used to make a living basically performing these acts of power through whatever it was he did, witchcraft or I think because he's asking to receive the Holy Spirit by giving money. I'm guessing he wants the power to give the Holy Spirit so he can turn around and sell it. That's my conjecture. I can't say that for sure. But if he's trying to pay for it, he's thinking, man, if I get this, oh, yeah, I can make bank. Obviously not a very good motive. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray that the the Lord that, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. But Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me yourselves so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. And it looks like he kind of was like, whoa, okay, I need to make some changes. He, He did seem to respect the fact that I just did something wrong, and I, this isn't good. But I thought that's interesting where he says, your heart is not right before God. Repent and turn. Um, and, you know, a lot of people in this passage, they were getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. Most of the people there, their hearts were actually right before God. But we see this guy, he needed to make some adjustments inside. And another classic story most people know is Acts 5, verses 1 to 11. And this is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. As a new parent, 
These are pretty cool names. It's too bad they're ruined that we can't use these as like cool biblical names. Like, what's your name? Sapphira. Cool. <laughs> anyway, no relevance to what I'm about to say. Uh, but a man named Ananias, this is verse 1, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And now um, you look before this, it talks about people were coming, they were selling property and laying the money at the apostles' feet. And it was like the cool thing to do. But they were doing it for the right reasons. Their hearts were moved to give to God. They, that's, that's a huge sacrifice. So these guys see it and say, huh, I want to be like, I want to do that. They sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias... Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? Well, it remained unsold. Did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came over all who heard of it. The young men got up and covered him, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard these things. Oh, that's some cheerful passages of scripture we just read. <laughs> the point that I am trying to make from us looking in this is that the motivations and reasons of people's hearts are so important to God. And it's interesting as well that a number of these examples we read were also around giving. I remember as a young man in Christ, um, actually even as a kid, we, we lived out on a farm, out in the boonies, as some would say. Had two TV channels. Anyone else identify? Yeah. We had one of those antennas where you had to like turn it and it would go like, forever. Then get less fuzzy. Oh, whoa, stop right there, you know. That was my childhood. Because of that, <laughs> we, uh, we didn't attend church regularly. My, my dad uh, didn't have any interest in attending church, and so my mom would kind of um, just have devotionals and stuff with us. But as a young kid, I, somewhere in there, I grasped the concept of giving to God. So I took an old, like, Nestle Quick cardboard container jabbed the hole in the top and then every time I made money with some little chore or something like that I take a little bit and I put it in that jar and as a kid I was just like that's what you do right and uh, I remember I kept this going even throughout my my teen years and uh, eventually at one of the super summer starter weekends I had like some bills and a bunch of change so I had to take an envelope and 
peel the sticky, licky part off of other envelopes to hold it together, and I had this fat, fattest envelope you ever seen, so it was full of change. And it was so funny, I remember going up, everyone's putting these like, thin envelopes in the offering plate. And I'm like, ka-chunk, <laughs> this giant thump. Yeah, I just gave. <laughs> it was a good feeling, I'm like, because it was a really neat way to give to God, because really it was like all these, all these little off, and it was like, it was like maybe a hundred bucks, which back then to me was a lot of money. But it was a cumulative like, little offerings and tithes from like the last, you know, six months. So it was kind of a cool way to give. It's like, okay, here it all is in a big pile. Wham! It was a neat feeling. But then there's other times in a person's life where, you know, I mean, hey, when you're a teenager living at home, you don't got any expenses. hundred bucks is a hundred bucks. But then adulthood hits. And, you know, you got expenses. You got a mortgage. You got a car. You got a this. You got that. And there's times money can come in and you're like, mm, I know what the Bible says, but man, I, I really need this cash. Like, so it's interesting that God's saying in a number of these examples, you know, when you're giving, is your heart right? Because you can give, you can go through the motions, and if your heart's not right, I mean, it's not, it's not as honoring or pleasing to God. He says he loves a cheerful prompt to do it giver. So... That's aside, I wasn't planning on focusing on giving like that, but it just these examples keep coming up. The other thing that I have found is from personal experience in, in you know, my Christian walk, and I would, I would guess a lot of people in the room have experienced this, is sometimes we do things out of guilt. We feel like, man, I've got to be... I've got to be better. I don't measure up in this certain way, or I got to do this, or I, we can come to church out of guilt. We can, you know, do certain things out of, of guilt that we say to ourselves, man, I, so maybe you did something wrong. You sinned in some way, and you think, well, you know, I gotta, I gotta make up for this. I'm totally going to church on Sunday so I can get right. It's like, <laughs> so that's your motivation, right? You walk through the doors feeling guilty and think like, okay, this should make up for it. It's like, oh, well, no, actually, Jesus paid the price. He said, confess your sin, repent, turn to him. Yet how many of us carry guilt around for different things? And not just things like coming to church, but, you know, I thought of this kind of stereotype example, but those, you see those movies about dads who are never around and, they're always out working. They're trying to make all this money. So instead, you know, they're buying their kid presents to try to make up for the time. And they're feeling guilty about it. You know, cats in the cradle. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> that's, they've got songs about it. These people trying to do things out of the wrong motivation. They feel bad or they feel obligated. Now, don't raise your hands, but how many of you have ever, like, gone to a wedding and been like, man, I wish I was home this Saturday, just relaxing. You're like, but I, I said I'd be here. I'm going to be here. There's certain things that we, we still do out of, out of obligation. And there's some things that I think we should do out of obligation. Wedding's a great example. It's like you said you're going to be there, you know, be there. But there's a lot of times we'll do things that we actually don't want to do but we'll do out of a sense of obligation or sense of guilt. And, you know, y you can judge your own heart. 
um, about that. But I believe the best way for us to live that we see in the scripture is God wants us to live from a heart that's right before him, from a heart that is basically functioning with the right motivations, that we're doing things because out of a love for God. Now, I'll give you an example that I think is on the positive side. So when two people first fall in love, it's incredible how much they can be picking up new activities that they had no interest in before. You know, girl starts dating the guy. Hey, you want to come ride motorbikes this weekend? Uh, yeah, that sounds awesome. Whereas two weeks before, she would have never set foot near a Harley Davidson. You want to go to the shooting range? Yeah, sure. Flip side, the girl. Hey, uh, there's this romantic comedy in the theater. You want to go see it? Oh, yeah, I, I love romantic comedies. As soon as they're married, I'll never watch another one, you know. <laughs> but they're doing things because they love that other person. They're stepping outside their comfort zone, and they'll actually probably have fun doing things that they normally never would have. Their motivation is for a person that they're doing things for. I believe the highest motivation we as believers can have is that we are doing things under the glory of God. We're doing things that he's called us to do. We're doing things because it's pleasing to him. And you will find joy in that. It's not going to be like crawling through a hot desert with no water. And you're just trying to make it to the end. Gritting your way through whatever task or thing it is. It can be a thing of such joy when we're doing things out of a heart for the Lord. And it even says uh, our attitude or our why of our heart in James 4.3, Jesus says, or sorry, James in uh, the New Testament here says, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So even in prayer, the reason why we pray for something affects the outcome. Now, now that we've talked about the importance of the heart, Let's talk about God changing our heart and what changes our hearts. And there's actually a uh, story that came to my mind about this. And uh, I can tell it because Jonathan's not here tonight. And it is about Jonathan. <laughs> but I know Tia's here tonight, so there's still like a referee here. To <laughs> so uh, I can tell stories about Pastor Jonathan, and they're all great stories. We've been friends for many years, him and I and had been on many adventures together as carefree teenagers. And yeah, we had lots of good fun, but we also had a number of experiences where we, we met God. God changed us, sometimes just through fellowshipping and talking with one another, sometimes just by being in the presence of God. But there was one thing I thought of, and the reason I'm comfortable sharing this is Jonathan has shared this from the pulpit a few times, about where I believe God changed the why of his heart, the purpose of his heart, changed something deep in his heart. And being his friend for so many years, I noticed it, like, big time when it happened. He told it uh, basically like this, and I might get some parts of it wrong, so sorry, John, if you're listening to the message and I get it wrong, but uh, I believe he had been to this conference, and this would be a number of years ago when he was a newer pastor. 
He was flying back on this airplane. And I guess he had constructed some kind of little blanket fort to kind of get some privacy and sleep. You know, when you're on a long flight and you've got some empty seats beside you, it is a prime opportunity to get some rest. So he's tired, he's got this blanket over his head, and he's ready to go to sleep. And as he's trying to drift off, suddenly the Spirit of God came on him at whatever it was, 20,000 feet, and poured this love in his heart for the First Nations people and for the church, for these, these groups. And there's a lot of First Nations people in the church, but I'm just saying there was just this love poured in him, he said. It was like absolutely amazing. And he had been seeking God. You know, how, how do I do this? I mean, I got, a, I got a pastor. I mean, what? Pastoring is not an easy job. There's so much more behind it. You know, you see the pastor up on the pulpit, and that's like, what, 3 4% of his time. You see him face to face. The rest of the time, I mean, it's, it's a hard job. And God changed his heart on that flight. Not that he didn't love the First Nations people before or love the church before, but he'll tell you, he'll attest to this, that God gave him like a supernatural, deep love for the people. And I, I remember him telling that, and like he was just different after that. Like, and you can see it to this day. You can see like a tenderness and a love and a care in him for people. And he's a great pastor. I mean, his preaching's awesome, all this stuff. But, man, I believe that that day when God changed his heart was just a watershed. Like, it was like a turning moment for him. And you can see today the result of that moment where God moved in his heart and gave him this, this motivation and this why to do what he did in a stronger way. And uh, it's just, I, I believe that there's things that can and will change our heart. One of them is the Spirit of God. Time in praise and worship. Uh, you know, you read about in the Old Testament, Saul, it says that the Spirit of God came upon him, and it, the word literally says he became a different man. And then when the Spirit of God, you know, lifted off him, he became normal Saul again. In the New Testament, it is us as new believers the Spirit of God doesn't just come on us and leave. The Spirit of God actually lives inside of us. David prayed, Search my heart, O God, and know me. See if there be any harmful way inside me, and lead me in the everlasting way. All throughout the scripture, we see these prayers, people asking God to reveal things to them, to show things to them. So if we want the purposes and motivations of our heart to be changed, be made better, to be made, you know, um, more fervent or anything, or if maybe if there's some wrong motivations in us, God can show us, God will change us. And again, this is a message about us having our hearts tweaked and changed. And I want to add a little side note is, you know, sometimes you can have more than one motivation for doing things. It's not wrong to go to work to make money. I mean, it's kind of obvious, you know, you're not, you're not just going there because it's just such a great time digging ditches all day. This is the best time I've ever had, you know. I love when these welding sparks fly in my eye, you know, this is awesome. You're going to make money, but you can also go to glorify God, 
to be a light, right? And, you know, it sounds simple, but if you're going to do it, you might as well do it as honor the Lord. You might as well do it with the joy of the Lord. And it's easy to say when we're all here, but, you know, when that thing at work goes wrong or that person says that thing or you drop the plate of food on the floor and it smashes and you got to clean it up, it's hard to, when those kind of things happen, to do it with joy, to do it as honor the Lord. So anyway, the other thing that I believe from the Word of God changes our hearts is the Word of God itself. In Hebrews 4, verse 12, it says, I'll give you a minute to turn there. Hebrews 4, verse 12 says, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So if you're reading through the word of God and you see something and you're like, huh, that's not how I feel about this or that's not how I do things. Well, maybe you can line up with God's word. You should. (laughs) It'll reveal things to us. So the last thing I wanted to talk about was Jesus himself. Now, we've seen examples from scripture of other people, and a number of those examples were actually showing people with the wrong motive of heart, but what about when you have the right motivation of heart, the right why in your heart, like Jesus did? Luke 22 we get a glimpse of Jesus' last time of prayer before he goes to the cross, pays the ultimate sacrifice, dies, buried, rises again, goes to the Father. This is his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, so verse, Luke 22, verse 39. So as uh, some of you know, his disciples, some of the disciples were with him, and Jesus knows what's about to go down. The disciples are kind of like, it hasn't really hit them yet. Good old disciples. 39, and he came out and proceeded, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And he arrived at the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. But not my will, but yours be done. Isn't that amazing that Jesus himself, he's about to face the cross He's in his last hours of prayer, and he says to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. That's the heart of Jesus right there. He came to do the Father's will. Jesus' why of heart, his will, his, his motivation, that purpose pushing him, is he said, God, I'm here to do your will. Not my will be done, but your will be done. To the point where he laid down his life. That is awesome.
I don't think any of us here are going to have to pay that kind of sacrifice where we lay down our life. Although, who knows? Maybe some of us here one day will have to make that choice. But for most of us, day by day, I think we have to make that choice. Not my will be done, but your will be done, Lord God. It also says that for the joy set before him, he, he endured the cross. So, you know, he looked forward to us, to the salvation that he would bring, the mission the Father had him on. So really, all I felt like I was supposed to say to, to us tonight is that the motivations and the purposes of your heart are so important to God. And you're the, really usually the only person who truly sees that. Um, it's between you and God. And, you know, ask God if, uh, if he'll search our hearts and reveal to us any ways we can make some adjustments and, and tweaks and just have that, that great heart before God that says, not my will, but your will be done, Lord.